0: You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the ProSound Web podcast network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones and A131 and A133 large diaphragm studio condenser mics at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath has asked us to read the following statement. Food for thought. The more holes you have in Swiss cheese, the less cheese you have. The more cheese you have, the more holes you have. Therefore, the more cheese you have, the less cheese you have. What a world we live in.
1: So, Chris, I have to say before we start, um, the first time I I heard your name, I had a a mild panic attack. Uh Uh, Uh-oh. Because uh, Because, uh, he makes our
2: heart flutter, too. (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah, I know. So, my, so my 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 best friend growing up in Melvindale, Michigan, just outside of Detroit, uh, lived right across the street from me. He was a year older. His name was Chris Leonard. Nice. <laughs> oh. uh, and he was just a just a wanton bastard he was constantly beating up on me uh you know like every three months i'd be like running home crying because he had jumped me and like beat the hell out of me and this went on for years and my mom and dad were like why do you keep hanging out with this kid it's like well he's my best friend he lives right across the street we hang out all the time uh and and this went all the way through high school uh we were both in the band uh and uh i don't even remember what the uh the uh the actual argument was about. there But I had started kind of working out at home. I had bought a gym, and been lifting weights and doing some stuff, and I was feeling a little bit more confident. And he was giving me a bunch of hell in the instrument room one day in high school and started pushing me around. And finally I had it and just like hauled off <laughs> like punched him in the face (laughs) glasses flew I jumped on him beat the living hell out of him until one of the wrestlers like came and picked me up and like carried me off and that was it that was the end of our friendship I never talked to him ever again but um you know years of torment and I finally got to beat the shit out of Chris Leonard so (laughs) So, uh, and so when I got to see your face, I was like, oh, oh, "Oh, holy shit, Chris Leonard!" I got to finally see your face somewhere, and I was like, "Oh, whew, not him." <laughs> not, not the same one. That's Thank, thanks for
2: joining us on episode one sixteen. Uh, we'll be back with one seventeen.
0: <laughs> Kyle, why don't, you, why don't you kick us off, man? Okay.
2: okay. Welcome back to the Signal to Noise podcast. My name is Kyle Chernside. Maybe you've heard of me. Maybe you haven't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just, just start there. My friend Michael Lawrence is here, fresh off the hey. opera. He's, He's yeah. got a nice haircut from the Barbara Seville, I see. Yeah, and uh, my man, straight out of Philly. I mean, Maryland, but Philly because it's, it's Philly. Chris yeah. Leonard, ladies and gentlemen. What's up?
0: How's it going? High, sc- high school bully, Chris High school, high school bully, apparently. <laughs> high school bully, Chris <laughs> Leonard.
2: Andy was from uh. fucking D- Detroit. That shit's fucking scary. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you end up in a ditch Chris, any, in that place. <laughs>
0: Any housekeeping, Chris?
3: No, let's get into this.
0: Okay, so our, our guest this episode <laughs> is. Uh, I, you said to get into it, so we're get, yeah, getting ready um, to, yeah, I, yeah,
3: we are we, not going to have time to get into everything, so it's we it's not going to get any, to any stupider than my intro. So,
0: Mr. Mr. Rich Frembus, who uh, is Rich. What is your official job
1: title at Fulcrum Acoustic? You know, I was never given one. Okay, so uh, he's with Fulcrum no, Acoustic. It, yeah, <laughs> How about uh, that? kind of a, a, a product, product person that does
0: a lot of other things. Cool. <laughs> and uh, once punched somebody in the face in high school. Name uh, Chris, Chris Leonard.
2: Chris
0: yeah, name Chris Leonard. Yes. And, and so uh, it's kind of funny. I think you, you might be the only person in the world who has listened to every single episode of this podcast.
1: Seriously, I think so I because think we certainly no, we certainly yeah. don't. Yeah, you know you're, you're great gym and lawn mowing music. So <laughs> uh. oh, and, and
3: perfect because it just drowns us out and you can't actually hear us anyway when you're mowing. So I mean, yeah, absolutely. Have you actually listened to all of them? No, anyway, <laughs> I can't even listen. I,
2: my family can't even get past the intro. They're like, "You guys are boring."
3: <laughs> <laughs> so I don't disagree.
0: I, I, at some point, Rich, I want to talk about. I I recently. Tuned and aligned a system that you designed. And I think yes. that's a cool conversation to have. But yeah. before we get into all that, is that a Saturn V rocket behind you?
1: That is a Lego Saturn V rocket. Oh, don't
3: break it. Don't break it. Wow, that oh,
0: is
1: definitely the coolest apart, thing within it, arms it, reach. It, it, it comes well. I have another cool thing. Uh, <laughs> do that first. Yeah, It comes apart. Uh, it is. Uh, it has nineteen hundred sixty nine pieces.
2: Sixty nine, dude. Oh, well, that's the, that's
1: the year that. Yeah, that's very clever. Which is also the year I was born. Oh. So that you know, apropos. But uh, yes, oh. it. Uh, I won't do it now because I always break it when I do it. But but all the <laughs> stages come apart. There's individual rockets inside all of them. Uh, it's it's really cool. It was. It took me. Yeah, three or four days to build. It wow, awesome. it doesn't—it
2: awesome. l- does not look like that one guy's dildo or penis that he built. Yeah, that's, that's all right. that really went yeah. into space.
0: Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, Is that the first right. time
2: we've ever used the word dildo? On the, I don't know.
0: And now we got to put the explicit tag on this one. Uh, uh. <laughs> Kyle, what, what's the cool thing within arm's reach?
2: I have the 1964 World Series between the St. Louis Cardinals and the New York Yankees, New York Yankees program, program. program in mint condition. In mint I'm pretty excited about this one because, obviously, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan. They're doing horrible this year, so let's not talk about that. Let's talk about stats in general. Let's talk about the second-best team in baseball in the entire world next to the New York Yankees is the St.
3: Louis Cardinals. That's all I got, really. That's all I got.
1: Okay.
3: Chris? Um, You know, with getting old, I have these um, um, Tiger Bomb pain relief patches, so I've I've had some, like, neck to shoulder pain, and so – that's, that's the, cool- the coolest that's thing. I I I got nothing, dude. Shoulder I, patches? I, I I don't know. Dude, I, I, life's crazy right now. Oh, so well, I, I got even something I,
0: even worse. <laughs> I got these socks on sale for a dollar, nice. and they're super warm and super thick and super soft. But you see, there's actually no heel. It's literally just a, a straight tube. cylinder of sock. It's yeah, a tube sock. <laughs> yeah. It's literally a tube sock. Um, nice. So there, that that bit is not super comfortable, but the warmth definitely makes up yeah. for it. Uh, Rich, uh, I know you have so a I, round I, two. I here. have one.
1: I have one more thing. Oh, it's that a platypus I've been saving up? That? So it is a stuffed platypus. That is cool. Um, which has a oh, it lays yeah. eggs. <laughs> <laughs> no way. I do
2: not.
1: This is one of many of my stuffed platypus collection.
3: This, this just got even Man, better. I, I, I feel like, so, Richard, so Rich has been listening to all our episodes, right? And we started this whole Arm's Reach thing at the beginning of this year, and he's yes, been like, he and so he's it's probably been thinking, yeah. like since we scheduled you know, an end of a couple of weeks ago, he's been like, okay, okay, what are all the cool things that <laughs> can put in, in Arm's Reach <laughs> that I can be ready for? Yep.
1: Oh, one more thing. Yes. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, see? <laughs> see, I have an original Firewire-only 40-gig black and white Oh wow! You know, ah, I yeah. found the other day it still works the battery's shit so I have to plug it in all the time but I find all kind of, you know I, it's like my EAW Christmas listening party is on here which is kind of funny because that was you know 15 years ago but
2: I can't believe it's firewire it's not even that weird it's
1: firewire only it, it, it was at the time that Apple said no we're never doing USB and then of course <laughs> USB so uh, th- I think it was like $500 back when I bought it uh, and uh, it's you know it still works yeah, it, does, it doesn't have the dial, right? It's the individual buttons, the click, right? The click, the yeah, click wheel, click, Yeah, right? it's got... Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I can get in now. The that, light is not great. Oh, there we go. It's got individual buttons. Yeah, yeah. it does. It's got kind of a dial that, and buttons. That is awesome. Yeah. I remember it that it's black one. and white. Um, I don't know if it's even going to power up now. Probably <laughs> not. The battery, battery dies if you don't plug it in. But, yeah. Kind of cool. like Kyle. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly.
0: Uh, Rich, you sent over like a pretty cool list of like little interesting things from your career that I, I know that Chris uh, is there's some stuff in there in terms of Chris's how he got loud audio history project that I'm sure he's going to want to talk about. Um, yeah. But I, I want to start with the fact that you you it says briefly pursued a music industry management degree at Wayne State University in Detroit yeah. till you figured out that the music faculty at the time disdained rock music and the degree was really about managing orchestras and you dropped out. Um, Let's stop
2: there. Detroit yeah, rock, yeah. City, rock City <laughs> disdained <laughs> wow. rock music
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, this particular music program at the time, yeah. Yeah, Um, you know, I had to take, you know, it was music industry management, so you had to take, you know, theory and and composition, and you you had to be in the marching band, which was weird because Wayne State had a shit football team, so I don't know why they had to (laughs) march. You had to be in the marching band. You had to be in orchestra. You had to do, you know, all this stuff, and it was like, it it took me about a a semester before I figured out that, uh, and actually it was, uh, um, I think it was my band instructor who was like, uh, um, you know, you're you here to learn about music, not like that rock and roll stuff. Or I'm paraphrasing, but I was like, okay, dude, I'm I'm done, and I just stopped going to class and uh, and just just you know, much to my parents' disdain, just stopped going. And you know, they cast the check, and that was the end of the, that first year of school. De-
2: Detroit knowingly has one of the best rock music histories in the country. I mean, yeah. even putting Motown in that too. Mm-hmm. This blows my mind. Like,
1: yeah. Well, uh, so this was eighty. This was eighty-seven, eighty-eight. Uh, so you know, again, I can't say what they're doing nowadays. I'm sure they've they've, they've left. They're all dead. But, uh, they're at, all that, dead. at that particular era, um, yeah.
0: Well, the thing that I that I wanted to just the reason I wanted to mention it because we have. We have a lot of listeners who are sort of at that point in their in their careers where they're like, you know, what program should I go to? And we did an episode on this like a long time ago, back you know (laughs) back a long time ago, about should you go to college for audio? And I think just the, the point that I wanted to mention is it's a huge investment and it's something that, you know, a lot of us that have gone to college are still paying for, you know, decades later. And so if you're gonna make that investment Make, make it into something that, that is working for you and that is comfortable mm-hmm. for you and that you're enjoying and you, you're getting your value out of it. If you absolutely hate it, then yeah, I mean, there's no shame in going, this is not for me and I'm not going to continue to dump money into this if it's not, this is not what I wanted. Um, and so, yeah, I think, so I think, you know, that's, that's a legitimate uh, thing to think about for a lot of people. Um, and so I, I would just encourage people to just be honest with yourself about if you're making that type of investment, make sure it's, it's something that you, you want to invest in.
1: Yeah, Absolutely.
3: I'm I'm curious um, to, you know, instead of just doing the whole path of, like, how you got into this, right, because I think this would, would take a while. Um, yeah. One of the things I was thinking about, and this, yes, does tie into some of my how we got loud stuff or whatever, is um, I think sometimes people don't think about the people behind a brand, uh, whether it's a or from a manufacturer, right? Whether it's a speaker, console, whatever, right? At the end of the day, it's not jbl eaw fulcrum putting out something i mean mean, it is but at the end of the day it boils down to a group of 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 body of work of of, of people and uh, that that part really intrigues me so i'm curious through your time at eaw and then now fulcrum um i imagine there has to be some sense of personal pride or investment into it can you talk about that aspect of like coming at your work and 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 how you approach what you do
1: Oh, absolutely there is. Um, uh, you know first off, being able to work with a bunch of brilliant minds in in one building um, is just wonderful. And, and the knowledge that you can suck up from all these people is is incredible. But also, you know everybody that I've worked with, um, well, everybody that had a direct involvement in making EAW and Vulcrum cool, uh, not the money folks, uh, <laughs> with certain companies, uh, everybody that, that, that was involved in making something cool had a real passion for what they were doing. Um, you know, it's really, it's the coolest gig in the world. We all get to sit around and, and bullshit with one another and think of some ideas and try them and listen to them and listen to them loud. Uh, and then it's like, well, that didn't work. Let's try something else. And then finally everybody gets around and scratches their chin and he's like, yes, that's it. Sell it. Uh, um, um, and so it's, uh, you know, everybody has a tremendous investment in, in what the brand is doing. And I'm, and that's true for EAW and Fulcrum. I'm, I'm sure that's true for the, the DMVs and the acoustics and, uh, you know, all of them in the world. I mean, everybody, uh, you know, it's just the coolest gig in the world to be able to take every all the knowledge that you've gained from mixing and installing stuff and, you know, you know, renting shitty speakers to DJs on the weekends, you know, all that stuff comes into play when you when you get to sit around with a cool group of folks and, and just make new stuff. So...
3: Is there ever a point when you're, um, because there's so much passion and personality tied to it or whatever, do you ever hit a, a point where a, a product is like, you know what, we just have to left turn here, this isn't working, i got to dump this and yep. move on? And what's it like to like disconnect from that and, and disengage? Is that hard?
1: uh no as a matter of fact it's not hard um you know one of the very first subwoofers we made here at fulcrum was a was a product that was designed to fit into a space that another product had been specked into and it was an attempt to make mm. a single 18 horn loaded sub uh fit into the space of, a, of another sub and we sold it we, we listened to it and ultimately it was like you know what this thing sucks. <laughs> uh, it just it's, it's it's shitty. We, we you know, we, we charge a lot of money for it and it's not very good and we make better stuff, so let's kill it and we did. Uh, and there's no there's no shame in just like recognizing that you've made a bad product mm. and, and, and killing it. You know, the key is to try and recognize that you've made a bad product early on before you sell a bunch <laughs> of it to people, you know. Uh, uh, you know, there was a there was a line array sub that we made too that we recognized that was just not not having it and uh, um, you know, we, we kill it. So, um, uh, you, know, that's, uh, you know, that's part of the, uh, it speaks back to the pride question, too. You have to have a pride in what you're shipping. And if every time you sell something and, and, you, and you see the order coming, it's like, God damn, I wish I didn't have to support mm. this thing. It's like, you know, we don't want to do that. So we'll, we'll just kill it.
0: I think part of what you're talking about is innovation um, and, and sort of inherent in the process of innovating and, and coming up with new ideas and moving the industry forward and comi- coming up with an original product idea Part of that process is coming up with lousy ideas and yes. then meeting with the team and going, oh, this doesn't really work. You know, and I kind of I get into a little bit of that you know, now that I'm sort of involved with the software development side of smart. like you, you, There's this thing that sounds really great, and then someone will go, yeah, but and you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's actually a shit idea. And so that's just part of making things better and, and bringing new things mm-hmm. to the table. I, w- I want to ask a little bit about, and, and correct me if I'm wrong the 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 gunness focusing or the tq kind of the idea that hey yeah. we're going to build the speaker the best we can build it and then we're going to kind of kick it across the finish line with with kind of onboard dsp is that fulcrum pretty much pioneered that idea right was that were you guys were kind of the first company that was really working at that well
1: in the specific thing we were doing that yeah that was very much a david gunness invention um, uh, the idea of of you know a loudspeaker manufacturer kind of um, you know coming up with some trick processing that they that they use to enhance their speakers that's probably Mm. not so new uh but the specific thing that we're doing uh with our FIR filters and the way we're correcting uh horn and woofer anomalies that's definitely uh kind of unique to us you know, it, it's fairly easy these days. There's plenty of software out there to where you can measure a non-axis response of a loudspeaker and, and, you know, do a kind of an inverse transfer function and, and generate an FIR to make it sound really sweet at that spot. Um, but it may go straight to hell when you go off-axis. Mm. Um, one of the, the secrets to what we're doing is is the... Kind of the measurement uh, technique and the algorithm that David came up with uh, is we we look at a 360 balloon, of, uh, you know, polar response of the loudspeaker, and there's a specific kind of averaging algorithm that he makes that that that's what the R- FIR is targeted at. Um, so you you know it, it, it behaves well on axis and it behaves well off axis. Um, sometimes we will sacrifice on-axis response to make sure that mm-hmm. the, the majority of the coverage area is is improved. So. Um, it's pretty, uh, you know, that is, that is pretty unique to us. How, m- how many I, people do uh, you
2: think skip the whole polar processing thing and just do on access? That's a good question. I mean, because it seems like yeah. uh, that seems like something that is almost evident that you would have to do, especially with a line array that's going into buildings that need certain dispersion. But it seems like a lot of them on access you're like, wow but don't go <laughs> sit in that don't seat over that.
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. You know, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I know that it's easy to do the former. Uh, it's easy to put up a mic and and make an FIR and be done with it. It's much harder to to do the polar acquisition and averaging because it's not just a simple a matter of uh, of averaging, uh, you know, a bunch of curves. There's a because there's you know phase comes into play too. So you have to figure out you know what's the proper uh, averaging. Uh, uh, equation, you know, what, what what positions around the balloon do you actually use as your target curve, you know, there's a bunch of kind of Yeah, putting boxes uh,
2: together that, that how many boxes are together, what's the, I mean, it's...
1: Yeah, that, and that's a super challenge because there's no modeling program out there, including our ours, that really does a good job of estimating what mm. the baffling effect is going right. to be of another loudspeaker, so hmm. that's where it comes down to, you make, you, you improve the response as much as you can for a single speaker, and then you have to go out in the field and just measure a bunch of things together to see what what effect that has. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that's where you cross over from the modeling world into the real world, and 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 then make judgments.
3: That's interesting that we're at a point in technology that we still can't you can't model multiple cabinets together like you would think.
1: The tools are out there. Um, Things like COMSOL, like finite element analysis type stuff, you can start to put in baffles and barriers and see how wavelengths work around around an enclosure. Uh, But it's it's extraordinarily expensive for, for. folks like us. I mean, yeah. we use specifically Comsol for, for our um, passive cardioid technology. That's all modeled in, in, and in, in FEA. That's cool. Uh, and uh, to try and figure out, you know, what the wavelengths are like around the baffle and what, what the porting needs to be and what the resistance needs to be. But, you know, that's a $14,000 seat. I mean, very few folks are going to go out and like learn, buy that software, learn how to use it, learn how to apply it to uh, a loudspeaker array and then make guesstimates. It's a lot cheaper and easier to just go out and put a bike on a rig and, and measure it. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I want to, I, I think this idea of off-axis behavior and kind of 360, like it's something that's really important and I definitely want to talk about it a little bit. Jim Yack has a fantastic article on Pros on Web called 360 Degree System Tuning where yep, he's talking about hey, I'm not just paying attention to what I'm hearing in front of the house. I'm standing on stage and listening to what's coming off the back of my arrays and what's coming off the back of my subs. And he kind of takes all that into account when he's doing his tunings. And his thoughts on that really changed the way that I approach my work. And so I recently did uh, an arena system that that you guys designed. I think it was your design personally. Um, and a lot of people will ask sometimes, like, you know, what's the difference between a smaller gig and a bigger gig? And honestly, the biggest difference, I think, is as the rooms get bigger and the PAs get bigger, you have more speakers that are not pointed at you. Um, So, you know, in this arena, I think we had 57 zones, and, you know, so you're sitting in a chair, and there's one box pointed at you, and there's 56 that are pointed away from you. So all of a sudden, the stuff that's coming out the sides and the back of these boxes is a huge contributing factor to what that thing sounds like in the room. Um, I was very cognizant of that when we were going through and it was kind of funny, you know, I, I, I said to my assistant, as we were kind of going through doing this tuning, I'm like, I've just done like delay and, you know, band pass filtering all day. Like I, we haven't had to go in and EQ the hell out of this thing. I go, this is a good design. It's pretty much doing what it, what it needs to do, you know, right out of the box. And we, we, we went through the whole system and I don't know, we think we were in there like three hours or something like that. We tuned that whole yeah. arena and, and that can only happen that quickly if the design is good um, right. So, uh, maybe not specific to that that project, particularly, but like kind of what's in your mind when you're thinking about these types of projects, and how are you placing those kind of you know intellectual Lego blocks together to cover a space.
1: Um, well, you know, th- those large arena projects are a challenge, especially nowadays, because so many more, so many venue owners are wanting real sub energy yeah. in a room, um, which is a, which is a challenge, especially when you're doing a distributed system. Because mm. what do you do with the subs? Um, you can't really put a, just a sub stack in the middle of the room and then have a bunch of, you know, distributed speakers delayed to it, because what what's your delay for the speaker at the 50-yard line? <laughs> the speaker at the 20-yard line? Um, just put a cooler so they, on top that, of it, right? Exactly. <laughs> that. So that leads you to distributed subwoofers, uh, but that's a real challenge because subwoofers are basically omnidirectional. So if you have subs on one side of the arena and subs on the other side of the arena and you've got 60 hertz coming back at you 75 milliseconds late, you know, that's, that's a train wreck as that's, that's well. That's called reggae. Oh, reggae. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, Super dope. Uh, Super dope. yeah. So the uh, the solution, it seems, on the surface is like, well, let's just do a cardioid array uh, for all the distir- distributed stuff. But, of course, then you're putting double the sub in every location and double the amp and double the cost. And, you know, that that... Double the rigging points. I mean, that doesn't really work all that well either. So, um, you know, the rig that we uh, designed for that the venue that you tuned and in, in, that was in Rochester, right? Yeah. Um, you know, that we used our our passive cardioid subs, uh, which was nice because uh, um, you know it's one one sub one amp, you know, and it and it does what you need to do. Um, and I was curious. I, I've been wanting to talk to you about it because I wanted to see what your experience was. Because quite honestly, sometimes when you're doing these new cutting edge projects projects and uh, products mm-hmm. and you design a system and you send it out into the world you're like, I wonder if that's going to work. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it was I, funny. <laughs> you know, you know, as a manufacturer, you think that manufacturers have all these resources to go out and test every iteration of a product, but right, no, we right. don't. We're, we're making the shit up as we go along half the time. Uh, so I was really interested to talk, talk to you about, uh, you know, how the subarray worked right. in there and whether that cardioid really was a benefit in a distributed sub application.
0: Yeah, I'll turn I'll turn the question back. Okay, sure. That's fair. (laughs) You know, first of all, that that space is is phenomenally well behaved acoustically. Um, I don't think I've ever been in an arena that just kind of was that well treated, Um, particularly the upper sections. It was that was pretty cool. So I kind of want to go back and see a show in there when there's when there's a show in there. Um, But yeah, it was that was my big challenge going into that because I you know, the drawings I had were not current. So we really walked in there not knowing anything about what we were going to see or how it was processed or how it was controlled. And so I said, when I got into the space, I said to the uh, the product manager, I said, just take me on a walk. Let's walk around and show me every speaker position. I just want to see where things are. And I'm kind of building this mental map in my head of like, how are we going to time align this and what's got to time back to where and what order are we going to go? Because you, know, you get into a really big order of operations puzzle when you have that many zones. If you don't start right. in the right spot, you can really chase your tail. Um, And so, you know, we started working through it and it was really, uh, I've, I've not heard low frequencies behave like that in a room that big. Um, yeah, it was really cool because that's usually like you're saying, you have 70, 80, 90, hundred milliseconds late sub energy coming in. That's just, it's not going to sound good. Like there's, (laughs) there's just nothing you can do to make that sound tight and punchy and full and all the things that we use to describe nice bass sounds. Um, And I think the cool thing about the passive cardioid tech, like you said, besides the fact that like, hey, you can actually implement this without doubling all of your your sub-budget and your rigging and everything, um, you don't need a million dB of rejection in the back um, I think you're getting what, like, 10 dB broadband back there, something like that. Yeah,
1: let me. I'll speak to that real quickly. I mean, we call it cardioid because that's kind of the nomenclature that everybody understands. But specifically, it's a, a subcardioid pattern that mm. we put on all of our passive cardioid stuff. So, uh, traditional cardioid is get that heart-shaped uh, image that you're used to seeing, where there's you know a 20, 25 dB null at 180, and then it comes, you know, it comes up and around, and you know, it may be, you know, 60 dB down at, uh, you know. You know, 200 degrees or something like that. Um, so the subcardioid pattern is more shaped like a mushroom cap. So the the, the rejection isn't as deep. It's about 10-12 dB for the mm-hmm. subs, for the deeper subs. But it's shaped very much like a mushroom cap. So the whole back uh, plane of the of the subwoofer is basically down 10 or 12 dB, and then it starts to come up. There's a little bit of there. There may be four, five dB of rejection off to the sides, and then it comes up. Uh, you know, to, to on axis. Um, The reason we chose the subcardioid pattern is because the the first place that the technology was used was in our FL-283 line array. Um, We wanted to, you know, we want to do a something unique with a line array is like you know because why just do a me two product so um you know we just like hey let's can we do a cardioid line array that might be kind of fun uh but the challenge with the traditional cardioid shape that that heart shape with the line array it works great if you're hanging the line straight but soon as you you know bend that thing and start pointing the lobes the side lobes the 200 degree lobes of the cardioid up into the 200 degree lobes of the box above it it, it all goes to hell so, doing a a subcardioid configuration where everything is attenuated in the back allows you to bend mm-hmm. the array and not have the boxes interfere with one another. Um, so, we just took that and just applied it to, to the subwoofers. We applied it to a you know we have a full range uh, loudspeaker that's got it. We have a stage monitor that that, that has it. Um, but uh, mostly, what you hear is it's a very it's a very musical and well behaved. Uh, Pattern because you can walk around uh, the side of the box and just have it gently attenuate and then just go away. Um, Well, that was that was kind of our whole
0: meat and potatoes of this gig was we're working on the seams between the zones all day. Yeah, Uh, it's really easy. Like you said, it's really easy to go on access to this box and make it sound good there. Like that's fine. You know, my mom could do that. But when you have a room full of seams,
3: you got a cool mom.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And you have you know in an arena you have hundreds of people sitting on the seams so hundreds you can't write it off you know yeah hundreds of, yeah. so on a smaller system you go like hey there's two goofy seats and sometimes you just got to live with the fact that there's two goofy seats right but you can't go well there's gonna be 800 goofy seats like no you got to fix it um and and it was really it's funny that the, the timing on this because ethan weiner today to talk about this same idea that late-arriving energy, you know, it's most disruptive when it's really close and level to the direct sound. That's what, what bothers us. So right. that first 6, 8, 10 dB, if you could just bring that that down and shave a little bit off, that rear energy that's going to go bounce off something else and come back late or go across the other side of the arena late, taking that down by even 6 or 8 dB is a massive improvement from a perceptual standpoint. It sounds right. so much cleaner and so much – I mean, literally – I was like, because, you know, it's symmetrical room, so you meet one side, you tune one side, you copy, you paste, and you go verify the other side. I was like, hey, is the other side even on right now? Like, that is how clean this design is that I honestly wasn't sure if the other half of the arena was even turned on. I mean, it was really right. – rem- I've really not heard anything like that before. Um, and, and it's kind of back to, you know, the Bob McCarthy design to align. Like, if the design is good, the alignment shouldn't have to – take very long and, and the only reason right. we were able to get through that rig and do it that quickly and Stephen was there Stephen is uh, president right of Fulcrum um, uh,
1: president and CEO whatever he's calling himself. yeah for. so, so to, the yeah. king of Fulcrum yeah, uh, yeah. so uh,
0: Stephen was there and and, and you know kind of was it, when we started we did a couple zones and Stephen and I would go in, down and listen and I'd say hey you know, how are you feeling about that because you know it's your guys' rig. It's going to be on, you know, you have you have some, some some skin in this game, and I want everyone to be happy with the decisions that we're making. And it was funny. Like halfway through the, the session, he was like, I'm going to take off and see you later. So I was like, all right, he, he's probably okay with what we're doing then if he yep. can't be that worried about it. But, um, you know, that that was a really interesting process. And the other the only other thing I want to say about it um, is I really appreciate having someone from the manufacturer there when I was going through this process. Mm-hmm. Um when we're looking at a particular zone and saying, Hey, you know, can I boost can I boost five D B high shelf on this box? You know, I don't know what this what this box's headroom is like. I don't know how close to the limiters it is. I don't know how it's being driven. So having someone who understood under the hood how this product is designed and what its capabilities are, what its limitations are was really helpful and I think it definitely um allowed us to get a better result in the end too. So right. um i i really liked having someone from the manufacturer there who knew the gear knew the box and we could talk about those things and decide what we wanted to do so that was that was kind right. of fun
1: awesome yeah i would say that uh when you have a, a i mean part of the Part of it is having a good design from the outset. Uh, Part of it, uh, a large part of it is just how well was the installation actually done. Um, Mm. Yep. uh, Because that's really important to the speed of the commissioning process. (laughs) Uh, You know, I had... uh, uh, my record so far is I did a uh, – it was actually the first time I used the cardioid subs. It was an arena down in one of the Carolinas. I don't know. They're, they're the same to me. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but it was a, a big distributed system, much uh, you know, akin to the arena you did in Rochester. And uh, that room, uh, I walked in, the contractor had everything absolutely spot on, every wire, every Dante routing, everything was – Nailed. And I walked in and tuned 140 speakers in six hours and walked out. Um, It was just, it was amazing. It was so easy to do. Uh, uh, As uh, in contrast, uh, Jamie Anderson and Chris and I did a local venue here recently that you're probably aware of. Uh, where yeah, they had, yeah, uh, I've been they had budgeted about two two days of tuning, and we spent two days chasing polarity issues. So, um, you know, that was a uh, you know ultimately that ended up being a great project, but um, it was a it was a challenge for the first right. couple of days, and it really slowed things down. So, you know, kudos to contractors uh, or even you know live event people that can just have their have their rig working out of the box. That's a, that's a super important part of the of the whole process. The speaker can't sound good, and the, and the system engineer. can't make something sound good if it just isn't wired correctly and it's and it's
0: it's a boring part of the process and it's like yeah "Yeah, i
1: don't want to do it you know putting all the boxes on the bench in
0: the shop and making sure that they all match before you install them is boring as shit but it's really important because if you get up in the air and then you decide something's blown out that's not good and you know that was kind of the thing is like we were walking around like oh that guy's out of polarity you can just hear it and someone's got to go up in the ceiling now and and rewire stuff you know and so we're like all right well, let's go do this other zone and come back to it so those are the things that the verification stuff the polarity and, and the aiming you know in an arena if you're five degrees off on your aim you're missing 100 people <laughs> so right. you know those those little things um are are where you get stuck and where you slow down on this so yeah i, I agree with that 100 percent kyle you you look like you're just kind of soaking all this in man
2: i am kind of soaking it all in it's it's cool to me i mean one of my questions would be whether it was eaw fulcrum or another project what was like your passion project that you were like oh this is going to change the way i do things from this product on like when when did you have that moment what product were you on where you're like i get it
1: um that's a good question um I don't know if I can sp- was it, specifically was it, answer that. Was
2: it the sub you scrapped? The sub you scrapped? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
1: I don't know if it was specifically. Uh, um, I don't know if I can specifically answer your question. But I can tell you the one that, that, that made me smile the most. And, and it really didn't affect anything going forward but it was just the most fun project and that was uh and early on in, in our time we did a um a, a, an edm dance club at uh at uh at aria hotel in vegas um, been there it was a called times. Uh, oh crap i can't remember the name of the club now um anyway uh it was uh it was a 30 by 50 foot dance floor um and we installed uh it was six The four-inch cabs were six. There were double-12 horn loads with a four-inch compression driver. uh, And there were 10 dual 21 subs in the concrete bunker under the uh, DJ booth. So this was for a 30-by-50-foot dance floor. (laughs) The
2: the poo maker. Uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it was a really in- and then there was like 15 zones of audio in this club so oh. it was kind of fun because uh we we made the dance floor time zero uh and then starting at where you walked into the entrance uh that was time 120 milliseconds or whatever it was and we just delayed like whole chunks of zones because uh, that's all you have you may have eight speakers in a zone so you can't set one delay time but mm. you, you create this image where you walk in and the the, ti- the timing of the whole system kind of leads you to the dance floor um, so that was kind of fun it was an experiment when we got there um, but then when you walk down to the dance floor the system was so concentrated that it was like the zone of death down yeah. there so uh, Tuning a system that can do 140 c-weighted is kind of an interesting <laughs> challenge, uh, and but we discovered how to do it. Uh, the way you make a, a dance club system like that work is that uh, you do first off you do a 25 dB haystack on the subs, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then from like 2 or 3k up, you just you just sand that whole thing off. So 8k is like 10 dB lower than than 4k is. Then when you turn that thing up to 140c. Uh, your eyeballs are wiggling. Your stomach is churning. You want to poop, uh, but AK isn't killing you. AK mm. is still at like one oh five. I mean, it's, mm. it's loud, but you can make a system like that wiggle your eyeballs at crazy levels. But you have to do the weirdest tuning you've ever seen in your life. It wouldn't work on anything other than that one specific system. You know, you, you, there's no way you could like bring James Taylor in and have. That was probably my most fun. It,
2: it's cool that you say that because I think a lot of speaker manufacturers have fun in vegas with their designs at those clubs they really do i got to work freelance at a ton of them where they did did plug a band into them or did plug a live act into it it was awful but then when the music came (laughs) on and it was tiesto or the guy who smashes cakes or whatever it was it was insane like and that's what they all want like they wanted to wiggle your eyes and make your stomach hurt like Right. And if not, they'll go to another venue down the street that does like, yeah. I, I think it's so cool and innovative that people take Vegas and those clubs like that serious. Um, and for an, for an engineer sound guy, audio tech, whatever, walking into those venues is annoying because you you, you <laughs> can't escape it anywhere. There's nowhere that you can go to escape the sound. It's like sitting down at the restaurant and you look behind you and there's like an, a sp 2 pointed at your head. like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have seen some of the coolest designs and manufacturers put in like special things that they would never do anywhere else but Vegas clubs. And that's awesome.
1: Yep.
3: I'm curious, uh, jumping back into your career a little bit. So, um, you know, so in in 99, you got the call from, um, from AEW and and the description you gave us is that basically you tried to tell them all the reasons why you shouldn't get hired. uh, And they still offered you a job, (laughs) offered you more money than, than, than you were um, asking for and so forth. Um, You know, before that you had been doing some mixing work and whatnot. And obviously this was your first kind of foray into a manufacturer. I'm curious. Two couple things would be like one. Um, were you sure of that right away, or when did you go? Okay, yep, I, I foresee now my career in manufacturing as opposed to you know to mixing. Um, yeah, I guess we'll start there. So when when did you did you was there a moment where you were like, yep, this is clicking. This is definitely where I'm staying and progressing.
1: Uh, it probably took about a year or so. Um, it was a strange move. I. I traveled a lot of the country before then but I'd never been to New England before so I knew had no friends no family here so it was it was a it was a giant leap um, and you know it was you know kind of scary I was a, you know it was a big fish in a small pond in, in Lansing in terms of you know the knowledge and and what I was you know hoping folks do and you know jumping into a, a big manufacturer was was scary um, so it, it was probably about a year for me to really get my footing. I, I think I think I really uh, figured out it was clicking was you know at that year point when my boss came to me and said, uh, "By the way, you're getting a promotion and here's a pay raise because you've been doing a great job." It was like, "Okay, mm. this this is kind of cool. I like this." <laughs> uh, and so that was probably it. You know, there's nothing like a, you know a, a little extra money in your pocket to you know realize that you're doing okay. <laughs> How about the? Um, um,
0: regularity out maybe of of a, a manufacturer gig versus
1: you know trying to be freelance and
0: pay well to pay you know track, track, gig to gig.
1: that you know that kind of speaks to uh, uh, to the previous question um, one of the strangest things was I was doing uh, you know 80 to 100 hour weeks every week for I think it had been three years since I had had a vacation I was just doing 80 to 100 hours a week for three straight years just trying to make enough money to pay the bills um, and so when I came and started working for a manufacturer, all of a sudden I had a 40-hour-a-week job, and that was really strange because I had zero idea what to do with myself <laughs> the other 40 hours of the week. Uh, so, uh, and I had been mixing a lot, uh, and when I moved here, I knew none of the band scene. My, you know, I knew none of the club scene. I, you know, I just there were, it, and I honestly just didn't seek out a lot of opportunities but I just all of a sudden wasn't mixing anymore too which uh, for the longest time I really missed um but uh, you know, after a while, I was like, you know what? I really don't like being up after 9 p.m. You know, you know if it, here, even here. now, it's like, it, it, yeah, if concerts, it, you know, it, the best thing that could uh, in the world that could happen to the concert industry is if, if all shows started at 1 p.m. <laughs> so for supper and take the dogs out and go to bed. Correct. That would be the best thing. Yes. Uh, uh, so nothing uh, good happens you know, one, after 10 p.m. Exactly. Uh, So uh, getting used to the 40-hour work week was a challenge. That took, you know, like probably, again, about a year of just decompression to realize that there's nowhere I have to be and what do Mm. I do with this free time uh, that isn't going to get me arrested. Uh, uh, But... um, yeah, and then but then after a while, just getting used to not having to be up all the time uh, and and super early late, late into the night. Now I w- won't trade any of those early experiences for anything because sure. you know the times when you do have to go out and do trade shows, you have to go out and do a commissioning, or you have to go out and do a Vegas, and and the only time you can tune is from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. You know I can tap into that muscle memory and mm-hmm. I can do it without you know it's like oh I you know the promoter didn't give us any food oh fine okay I can just go without food for 12 hours that's fine um, I, I can. Tap into that muscle memories. So I wouldn't trade it for the world that experience. But damn, I don't ever want to do that again if I don't have to. <laughs> I think that you know, and I'm
0: not. I'm not old. I'm 33. But as yeah. I as I get older, it's bothering me more and more to be up. These you know, I, I'll do. I'll do a one super long day. But when I do, yeah, Chris tiger has a tiger. When I do like you know by the third super long day in a row i'm really starting not to feel good and that wasn't true and i was 22 i would just rock through it i didn't care so right for me that's like you know it's kind of like you know when i was like 15 the dude was like hey don't jump off the stage bad, bad for your knees and you're like 14 you're like i don't give a fuck right but like yeah dude that like that's real shit like take care of yourself you know what i mean like right. you have got to really be i'm i'm being learning to be more cognizant of that taking care of myself but also um The mix of, yes, I have a manufacturer job. I still have a full calendar of gigs. I'm still doing both sides of that coin. And it's really interesting to me to learn the stuff that I do on the gigs, how I bring that back to the office and how that informs how I do my day job. And then when we all the stuff that we spend all day thinking about at these super nerdy levels. And then when you get out into the field and you actually go use those tools... (laughs) You know, I really enjoy sort of the, um, the synergistic aspect of it. So I, I don't want anyone to listening to think that it's sort of like a one or the other type no of way. thing because a lot right. of people do. Kyle, you you, you did manufacturer gig and, and, you know, freelance stuff for a long time. I still
2: do, bro. Like, I, I, I'm the yeah. same way with Rich. Like, if I don't want to get arrested or to, a divorce. So... Um, I got to keep myself busy. I love it. And the, yeah. it, let's talk about this. The ROI on the person ROI. who still has boots on the ground and boots in the office yep. is huge for yep. a manufacturer and it's huge for an artist, no matter which way you look at it. Um, right. you're connected. And I think, it, I think that's, I never looked at it like that until you, you guys just mentioned it. But, um, I loved having the co-relationship like, uh, mm-hmm. I would sacrifice going into Mix Tired to wake up to be at work mm. tired was huge because I'd come in with a whole bunch of new things that I wanted to try out. I'd hear from people on the phone. like and, and you'll slow down eventually. And I think a lot of people are putting that in their job descriptions now with any kind of audio, lighting, or video tagged in it. Like They kind of want you to do that. One, because you, that gives you a Rolodex of people that they don't have that they want, and vice versa. Hey, I work for this manufacturer. I might be able to take this thing out and do it with you guys. Do you mind if I do that? Like, it works yes. both ways. So I, I, eventually, like you said, I'll slow down, and maybe I'll take, like, weekend gigs or whatever. But I, I really like mixing. I,
0: I, and there's, you know, the other, the other aspect of that too, Kyle, that I was thinking about a lot is, There's certain aspects of when you're designing a product or software, whatever that is, that you don't find out until you get this thing out Mm -hmm. in the field and you try to use it. You know, like, oh, shit, if I rotate the bracket this way, I can't get the XLR cable in the back of the speaker. Like, you know, when you're trying to do it in the field and you're trying to get the show happening and you're trying to use this thing as an end user, as a tool – you really quickly find out where work needs to be done and, and, you know, you you know,
2: rich kids rich could probably (laughs) speak to that. The list of product things that the product needs that comes from someone who uses it, like is endless. Like when we were doing consoles and console design and software updates, even with your guys' software, with the smart stuff or any kind of measurement things you, like the list of things that people would ask for that you had to kind of filter through and go, okay, why do you want that? What, what is the application for that? And the only way they were going to try is to put it out with someone who, who developed these questions. And that's where the ROI is like, um, I, I I love being a Guinea pig. If I'm, if I'm cool with the product and I know I can get help when I need it, it's not going to make a show fail. Like, that's it's empowering to the user at that point and then you're Mm -hmm. you're building this whole thing it's like a a, you have a soft self marketing plan for the company that you work for because you're out there promoting the product and using it and developing like that's huge because rich how many people have been hired that have never flown a PA I I mean Hmm. There's sales dudes out there that are selling PA's that have never physically right, never used, a used a chain hoist.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's amazing. Uh, it's, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, you know, having you know, uh, being able you know, I, I miss the days of mixing. Uh, but one of the things I've discovered uh, being here, one of my favorite things to do. Uh, Uh, with Fulcrum is actually going out and commissioning systems. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd I'd never dreamed of being a system engineer uh, back in my mixing days, but uh, now that I've been doing it more and more and, you know, Mm -hmm. under the tutelage of Jamie and company, uh, it's just my favorite thing to do. I just want to go out uh, tune the systems because you know, again, to your point, Kyle, uh, when you go out and commission it, and you and you see what the speaker is doing, and see what it isn't doing, and 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 things that can be improved, and you and you work with the client and talk about what's going on, you can go back to the factory and go, you know, what we need to we need to work on this little yeah. bit, or I need to change the setting, or I need to, this bracket, you know, you know, like. You know, and, and it's funny because we design in the early days. We designed, uh, Michael, uh, we designed a set of yoke brackets that, when you twisted the speaker around a certain way, the, the NL four wouldn't fit in it. <laughs> and, I, and I actually ended up making an entire series of drawings for all of our brackets, where I showed the angle limitations of the speaker with the NL four on it, and and published those so that people would would know. Um, Eventually, we redesigned the brackets, and now everything, you know, that whole problem is fixed. But um, I ended up making, you know, I spent a week making a dozen drawings showing how the bracket doesn't work in these certain areas. It's like, oh, God, this is so embarrassing. Um, but it kept you employed. So, yeah, getting out, in the, yeah getting, out, getting out in the field or talking to the customer is a really important aspect of, of things. Um,
0: uh, yeah, I mean, there are products on the market that I know for certain the person who developed this product did not go take it to a show and mix a show on it and set it up. Cause yeah. I'm like, you would not have made these decisions if you actually tried to use this thing in the moment. And it's right. really, really obvious. And Kyle, I'm like you, I mean, like Avances is a pretty new platform. The software is, you know, there are only a couple of revisions in. So yeah, like, you know, any software, there's stuff that they're still tweaking and improving. And, and mm-hmm. so I'll take it to a gig and I'll go like, Hey, this, this, this was great. And this did this weird thing. And here's what happens. And, Send them the show file, and they'll go, yeah, yeah, you're right. We can see that. And then they'll fix it, and it comes out in the patch. So that, to me, is really a cool part of being an end user who has invested in a product and mm-hmm. said, like, this is my tool. I'm going to use this tool. Um, it's kind of really gets your hands under the hood. Even if you don't work for the company, you're, you're a user of the right. product, and you get to really participate. Um, Rich, you're a, you're a big measurement head. Um, yep. You mentioned that you bought Smart back in the mid, the late '90s, which yeah, is Yeah, JBL, JBL Smart and Philosophy. Is that version one?
1: Yep. Uh, it would have been maybe two or you know, how far did it go? Did it go to three with JBL <laughs> I don't, Smart? I don't. I, don't, oh, geez. It, I don't yeah, think it was so. definitely JBL Smart. Uh, so it would have been mid '90s.
0: So I, I guess you know, as sort of a student of the history of, of analysis. Mm-hmm you know, the state of the tools and also accessibility of those tools in in 1996 was very, very different than than today, where there are all these different things on the market that a high school kid could spend zero dollars and go start measuring right. speakers um, on an iPad, right? Um, like you're talking about a time where we were just coming out of an era where this stuff was thousands and thousands of dollars of hardware in racks that, that just you couldn't afford. And you know, uh, Charlie Hughes came out and talked to us about the TEF system, and it was kind of the same I thing. That. So I mean, what what was that environment like when you when you started getting into measurement? And you were like, wow, this is cool. Like this is my thing. I'm I, you know I'm passionate about this. I mean, and how has it changed?
1: Well, it's funny. It kind of speaks to the state of audio education and how it's advanced over the last ten or twenty years in, in general. Um, you know, I, I had a few examples where you know the, the the measurement platform we had available to us was to go up to the, the street to the big sound company and rent their Clark uh, RTA, yeah. uh, <laughs> and then I go I go to a club I, that I had designed and installed and put the microphone in front of it and look at all the bouncy bars on the front of the Clark RTA and go like, hmm, yep that's doing something. <laughs> uh, and it's like, but well, there must be a better way. And I it was reading about smart. Uh, you know, I forget where, but I, I, I bought a copy, got a laptop and, and started making some measurements. And I was like, yep, I have zero idea what I'm looking. <laughs> right. It's like, what's this phase thing? Hold on. Thing? At
3: least, at least you uh, realize you didn't line. know what you're oh, looking at. As opposed uh, to just like, keep, you know, going with it.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like, what's this phase thing? And don't even get me started on coherence. It's like, good God, what is that red line? Um, <laughs> And I, I was like, uh, seriously, I, I I figured I'd wasted my money. I was making no money. So an investment into a laptop and a piece of software was yeah. a big yeah. deal. But I, but I could see that it was the future. I, I just felt it. Um, and it really wasn't until, uh, it, well, it was fall of 99. I mentioned in the notes I sent mm-hmm. you guys. Uh, it was fall of 99. I paid my way to an AES. And uh, I think... Smart had just been acquired by AAW at that point in time. Uh, Jamie and 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 Karen had moved out to New England and were starting a gig, and they were doing one of their very first Smart classes. and They hired out this nightclub uh, in Ma- in Midtown Manhattan. It must have cost them a fortune. And I was like, I you know I'm gonna I'm gonna go to AS anyways. So I'm gonna pay extra. I'm gonna go to do this training. Uh, and two days it, only three people including me showed up so they were losing their shirt on the rental on this uh, on this venue uh, and the two other folks I was with spent it never read the manual so they spent the entire two days like talking about how to actually operate the software and I'm like I'm there trying to learn how to read the, the phase trace and, and nothing and it was just it was, it, was, it was in the beginning it was kind of a miserable experience but uh, Uh, there was a point where we were going to go we were hopping in cabs and we were going to go up up across town to go see Sam Burkow's new facility, uh, funny enough And, uh, Jamie put the two guy, the other two guys in a cab by themselves and in the cab with me. Uh, and he's like, okay, what do you need to know? I'm like, how's this phase thing work? And he he rips out his notebook in the back of the cab and, and, you know, driving across Manhattan. He's like, okay, here's, when it points down, it does this. And when it points up, when it does this and it does, and, and I'm like, you are my hero. I just, I just learned something. I'm going to forget it tomorrow, but, uh, at least I have a basis, uh, for learning, um, and uh, it, you know, it was a couple months later, I ran in t- into him in the hall at AEW when I was coming out to interview. But 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 my, my kind of a long way of saying that it was education. Uh, it was really the most important thing. That's what's really changed uh, in the industry. When I started off, there was n- you know nobody taught me how to read an RTA and, and all the bad stuff it does. Nobody taught me how to use this new FFT thing. Uh, so the amount of education that's going on nowadays, both just like direct. Uh, you know places like SynodCon, uh you know places like all the all the manufacturer education that's going on and and frankly even uh things like this podcast i mean i um, i don 't mix anymore but i I feel in touch with what 's going on in the industry just by listening to one hundred and thirteen episodes <laughs> of this podcast um, uh, so uh you know that's 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 you know a big change um, you know i 've taken I had the luxury uh, with with EAW owning Smart at the time, and my working there. I've taken probably a dozen Smart classes uh, because I just could step, I could walk upstairs and walk into them and sit down. And I've taken probably a dozen of them, and I learn something new every single time I go to a class. You can never stop learning about how to use a tool like that. Um, So, um,
0: I mean, you know, the funny thing about that is, we say this all the time to to students is, "Hey, this is the worst way to learn this. Take you know, three eight hour days." Is the worst way to learn something. Yep. You're drinking from a fire hose, and so that's why people come by and they take the class a second time or a third time. And the third time they'll go, "Okay, now I got it." Like Chris, right?
3: <laughs> so, well, so I, the- I, I've had four four regular, <laughs> regular classes, four or five, and the advanced one, and I would still go back every year. Like, yeah. I, yeah.
0: So we have what's called the repeat offender discount because it is so important. <laughs> you know, people come back and they'll go, like, the first two times I really was struggling with this and the third time or the fourth time, like, now it makes sense. Because it is such, like you said, Richard, Is you're learning a whole new world conceptually. There's a mathematical basis for this. There's a physical basis to this. And so you really do have to be patient with yourself. And, and you know, when I'm learning – okay, I am willfully ignorant of loudspeaker design, so my whole thing is I 'm a system tech, my job starts one foot in front of the speaker, right so okay. anything yeah. up to that grill that's on y'all. you sort that shit out right and i i 'll hang it hang so it. right um, um, but as i 'm learning about it and kind of going through you know kind of the, the the harry olson's like you know the the mechanical analogs that he was doing for all the, the r c circuits that describe the, the resistance and reluctance, all stuff like yep. Like, that is a new vocabulary for me so now i'm not just trying to learn the content i'm trying to learn like literally the entire framework and foundation of how he's even describing the concepts and it's the same way for a lot of people learning measurement where you really do have to be patient with yourself with a lot of these topics and, and yeah you're going to have to go through it a couple times and take it home and review it and sleep on it and, and visit again another month and there's nothing wrong with that so a lot of people yeah. said yeah I tried to take a smart class and I didn't get it or I tried to read this book on sound system design and I didn't get it well yeah it, it's okay you know <laughs> like it's okay to get confused by that stuff.
1: Well you know I remember the very first time the first time I read the Yamaha sound reinforcement handbook mm-hmm. straight through and I was like by Amplify, crossover. What the hell is this? I don't get it. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> that's it. Still, still, the book still holds up, though. I gotta say, it does. Yeah, I, I lost my copy years ago, though. I wish I had an, a, a version of it.
3: So you you dropped two um, two interesting stories or facts in in what you sent us. And since we're up against time, I'm gonna drop both of them, and you get to pick which one you're gonna talk about. So, okay. um, or or if we want to keep going, anyway. All right. So you mentioned, um, you know, doing a side hustle, making extra cash, mixing the club scene, and you're doing a month long tour in Peru, which in about '95, '96, uh, it was fun until you ran out of money. Um, yep. so that's, that's the one, or, um, you said interesting fact, the UX 8,800, uh, processor, AW processor was conceived by you and Jamie Anderson, uh, at, at pizza parlor. So which of those two stories are we going to dig into?
1: Uh, well, the South American one is mostly about uh, having a 20, bunch of 20-somethings in a rock band going down to Peru with all of its attractions Cocaine. and uh, partying hard enough to run out <laughs> of money. So that's probably not that interesting. Uh-huh. Um, Plus
0: pizza. I mean, you had me at pizza, honestly.
1: Yeah, pizza. The YuckSight 100 was an interesting one because, you know, Dave, Dave going to you know, did what became Gunness Focusing for the you know, line of powered speakers, the NT series. And, you know, they were kind of fun stuff, but they were kind of expensive and they were new. And, you know, we didn't, frankly, sell a whole lot of them. Uh, but that technology went into what became the UX8800 processor, uh, in which, you know, EAW is still using some form of Gunness Focusing from that processor then. It was kind of, it was fun. Jamie and I were, at that point, were both tasked as being project uh, product manager is at EAW. Uh, by that point in our careers, and so, you know, ran up the street, you know, had got a slice of crap pizza, and it's like, okay, <laughs> uh, you know, as a system engineer, you know, how would we like a processor to work? Uh, say, well, it needs to be, it's going to be a four by eight because that kind of fits into one rack space, and and it needs to do these things, and we want to be able to, you know, tune here and, and put the processing here, and this and that. Um, and we came up with this really cool design for a unit that would have just been kick-ass. Uh, you know, it got up to the uh, higher-ups, and uh, and uh, one of the first. I, I won't name names, but one of the first things that somebody said was, you know, we can't we can't put all these features into this thing because we're never going to sell our our DSP amplifiers. It's like we don't have any DSP amplifiers. <laughs> it's like well we're going to have them. It's like no. Uh, it's, like, <laughs> it's like oh Jamie and I were bashing our heads against the the, the wall. But uh, yeah, there were, uh, the 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 UX 8800 as it was originally designed was going to be the world's most kick-ass like system engineer tuning processor ever, and it ended up being something that was. Uh, um uh, less than that by the time. The they're still pretty cool, though. I
0: have to say, we got a couple at the office, and and yeah. if you find them for sale, they're expensive. Like people still want these things.
1: Oh, I have, I have one. I'll sell it. <laughs> oh, I have it here, I have it up the street. Uh, it's you know, I, it. has it, got a broken knob, but I know how to make the little inside part wiggle and do something. Re- <laughs> Reverb has
3: one listed because I, I looked this up. I was re- Reverb has a list for twenty one hundred dollars wow. right now. Yeah,
1: yeah. So yeah, That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's what. In what year yeah. is that, Rich? Oh gosh, that was uh, <laughs> let me see. I came here in two thousand nine, so that would have been uh, two thousand six, I want to say, give or take, plus or minus a year. Yeah. So I mean, that's, that's
0: the fact that that's still you know, I mean, I still see people using them like in in not in the b rig, you know, like they they they're they're
3: cool.
1: Well, the the key was going back and remeasuring all the product and, and developing focusing settings yeah. for things like. Uh, Kf three hundred and six fifties and eight fifties. You know the difference of a uh, like a Kf six fifty with and without the focusing is just night and day. Um, so it really it it reinvigorated a lot of rigs that people had invested in and and were trying to make last for a couple more years. So it it really was a great product. Well, the funny regard. thing
0: because we had we use one in our classes sometimes and Jamie he's never elaborated on this but he always says this was invented by a genius. He always says. that's Nice, nice. nice. I,
3: I, I do want to say you, you do alluded to what we said earlier, uh, um, the whole people personality behind a product. The fact that Gunnis Dave has his name behind something that, you, you know, it's not the the EAW steering. It's the Gunness steering. You know what I mean? Like, I love the personal attachment. To investment into our products in the industry, yep. um, like even like you know uh, at MSI, uh, this guy Brian Bednar who's been there a while now, he's been designing some of their proprietary boxes. Believe it or not, they still make some proprietary boxes, and he's oh. got like he's got like the BB the twenty two or BB twenty one whatever it is. It's, like it's the Brian Bednar twenty one <laughs> sub, you know, or nice. like there's some other boxes nice. he made again. It's his initials in front of it, BB. And like I love that like uh, fingerprint the whatever yeah. that you know. Anyway, it's what it's if cool. there was
2: a Lawrence yeah.
3: Taco? <laughs> could you try that if it was on the menu Michael Lawrence
2: Taco I would
0: try that sweet uh, and I will say before we wrap up first of all hey let's shout out again we're going to be at the Church Facilities Expo yes. CFX this September I think it's 2021 20, and 22 or 22-23 we're going like to be that. there all week in Dallas. In. we're going to be there hanging out uh, Chris and Kyle are going to be the MC's of a loudspeaker demo uh, and I'm going to be running the console. Uh, Alan Heath is sending an Avantis, and there are, I believe, six different loudspeaker manufacturers signed up. It's really fun. If you haven't been to one, we play the same music. We go all the way around, so you get to hear all these different PA's. Rich, you guys should uh, throw in on that, man. You guys should. We've uh, we've, we've done it in the past. Okay,
1: okay. so it's a good time.
0: Yeah, but it's way it, better it, it, now. It, it
3: We're fun. hosting it, dude. Come on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I will have to reconsider that. So come on out and see us. We're really looking forward to seeing you, everybody. Um, if you hit us up on facebook or in our discord or you can go to uh the cfx website we can give you a code so you can register for free and get a show pass badge free um and rich is in our signal noise podcast discord so if you like this episode you like some of the stuff that rich is talking about come on by the discord and uh and talk to him there as well Yep. Chris, you
3: look like you got something you want to say. Yeah, I mean, come on. So Rich has listened to our episode, so he knows. Oh, that's what's right. hap- that's he, right. he knows that's what's right. going to happen oh, here. Yeah, yeah. So he better, he better have be been prepared. I'm just saying. I almost uh, forgot. What, what if he already submitted it? That would be even better. He's like, um, I'll take it from here, Chris. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Rich. So you know it's coming. Just run this <laughs> shit. Yeah, please, we need help. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. If if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, um, you know, as someone who is influenced so much in the speaker market, what's uh, or maybe that's not what you. Anyway, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So again, you know, what would you? How would you want to define your legacy? You're out of order. It's supposed to be the food question first. Yeah. Oh, well, my, my No, Michael oh, dropped the ball. Shit, I, did. I, I, that's I, my I went fault. with mine. I went that's with mine. So, that's but sounds fault. like Rich is prepared for food He's too. Totally so.
1: Prepared. Okay, I'll do the legacy thing first. <laughs> thanks, thanks for sticking <laughs> with the program. Yeah. Actually,
3: everyone already turned the podcast off because yeah. he started going to ads for like where we're going and stuff. Like, oh, the podcast is done. Yeah, they're like, oh, I turn it off. Effects. Anyway, I can say dildo again.
1: You know, I i I've, I I knew the legacy question was coming, and I've I've thought about it for a while. And I and I I don't am there's the stock answers. Um, you know, I, I love helping people. Um, you know, it's been a lot of fun working for you know Fulcrum where you know it was employee number two, so helping to build a speaker company from the ground up you know, there's a bit of a legacy there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I've touched every speaker there. Uh, but I was thinking about this earlier, and, and, and it's something that I don't talk about very often, you know, given the nature of my position in the industry. But uh, I think one of the things I'm most proud about and, 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 uh, with the legacy is that uh, somebody with, that can only hear out of one ear has managed to make them their way into uh, into a professional audio career and, and design oh speakers. Oh, man. You know, I'm, I, I was born mostly deaf on my left ear. Uh, so uh, the fact that I can go out and, and work and and do this kind of stuff freaked my parents out when I was going into <laughs> when I told them I was going into pro audio. He's like, "You're going to do what?" <laughs>
2: uh, I, I uh, smell an but, episode too. Uh, yeah, two. I, I,
1: I suppose. No, two. Yeah, that that that's kind of an interesting uh, uh, legacy. Is that you can you know, you can make your way in this industry and, and with with some, what we, w- should be some obvious shortcomings. But, Shoot, um, there's been deaf guys you know, mixing been shows forever. Yeah. Yeah. Mixing shows forever. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's, <laughs> and, and, you <laughs> know what, it is... Oh. My, it, Heard. At least mine wasn't self. Well, I, I have some self-imposed uh, loss, but uh, uh, you know, mine was you know just born that way. So I, I learned to listen that way. And quite frankly, I don't know how 2 eared people ever sleep at night because I, <laughs> I, I can just roll over in my house <laughs> and, <laughs> and right yes. it, it drives my wife nuts. She's like, "You're snoring again!" Like, I don't hear anything. Uh, Do, <laughs> Do you only design mono systems? Oh. <laughs> <Because> I- <laughs> Well, you know the well. you know we think I I I've learned to be able to listen to stereo. Um, you know, I actually before I got into pro audio, I was a kind of an audiophile. I mean, you know, I had five completely new stereo systems by the time I was a senior in college because I kept swapping out. I was, you know, I'm the I'm the guy that's got four hundred dollar patch cables from the day in the back of my yeah. stereo. In fact, there's some over in the in the studio here at Fulcrum. Um, no, I, I I I can hear stereo. I'm just um, yeah, I'm just. Trying. Well, uh, well, uh, it's a a good question because I do get it. I mean, um, what you end up doing is rather than learning to listen to magnitude cues from left and right, you listen to timing cues, and that will give you a sense of stereo. Um, Is it as cool as if I had two ears? Um, No, probably not, but, you know, you you can do a lot if you just do some ear training. So that would be, that's, that's a legacy that uh, awesome. I haven't really, very few people know uh, about I, I think that you that touched on the one
2: thing Chris Leonard always wants to hear, and, and that is bringing out the passion that you have for this thing, audio, whether it's music got you into it, listening got you into it, or it not being able to hear a little bit out of one ear didn't stop you from getting into it. And that's, and that's right, the passion exactly. that this whole podcast is built upon. That's awesome. Right. You rule. Thanks. Are rich.
1: All right. Where are we going? Where are we going for lunch? Where are rich? we going? Short and sweet. Uh... Wrightonsville, Massachusetts is a bit of a food desert. Um, Providence, uh, Worcester, Boston has great places. but uh, the place that I would take you is actually uh, owned by you know Johnny Aldrich. His father owns a place uh, called the Theatre Cafe, right a block away from the Hanover Theatre in Worcester. It's a little kind of hole in the wall, nothing much to look at restaurant, but uh, uh, but uh, the the food they produce there is exquisite gourmet. Just it's just mouth-watering. Um, it, it's definitely the place I would take you. You could order anything you want. Um, in the pandemic era, I was able for my wife's birthday last year. I was able to hire out the entire restaurant and just have a private dinner for. Oh, um, So, but uh, uh, they—it's they, just the best food in the area, really. So I would take you to the Theater Cafe in Worcester. Wow. uh
0: Johnny never told uh, me that. He's been been holding out on me, man. Really? You yeah. should ask him about it. I yeah, will. his
1: dad, his dad, and and uh, just does some incredible cuisine up there so that's great that's this was fun it.
0: Rich thank you yeah this is great thank you Rich I appreciate your time man it's great to have you oh yeah
1: thank you guys this is uh, this has been a lot of fun it's, here's the question funny. are
0: you going to break your streak and skip this one or are you going to listen to yourself on Signal Noise Podcast <laughs> I, have, I have not decided yet um, um, we'll see
1: I've had to look at myself on the screen here for the last hour so I guess I could listen to me over I don't know we'll Only see just hey, put it on one thank, headphone thank listen you for listening But
3: that's all he can. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Rich. We appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Hit the button, Chris. Yeah. (laughs)